We've been looking at a series called Continue Thou, and it's different things in the New Testament which we've been commanded to continue. And yes, these are most of these are written as a command, continue. And we've gone over this word many times, the word continue, which is from the Greek word meno in most of these cases. By the way, this morning we'll be in Romans 11, if you want to start turning there, Romans 11. The word meno, what does it mean in English other than continue? What's other ways in which it could be translated? Been over this several times. Who remembers? To remain, to dwell, to feel at home. Remember that now? We've seen that we're continuing the things we have learned, continuing the word, continuing the love of Christ, continuing the grace of God, continuing faith. And now we're going to look in Romans 11:18 through 24 and examine another area which we are to continue, which is the goodness of God. Romans chapter 11, verse 18. Boast not thyself against the branches. If thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. All right. So, again, the word to continue has the idea of what? To remain, to dwell to be at home, to feel comfortable. So, you and I should continue in the goodness of God. So let us pray, and then we'll get into uh, this message this morning. Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would guide what is said, and Lord, you speak to the hearers this morning. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in context, Paul is warning the Gentiles against boasting of the benefits we have in Christ, reminding us that God cut off Israel. Now, he's not done with Israel, but they're cut off right now, okay? And he can do the same to us. Now, that's kind of an interesting context, and, and that's what he's talking about by the branches and the root. And, and if you read the whole passage, and I'm sure you've studied it on your own and whatnot, but... Uh, it would, it, you know, you see the whole idea of let's not become proud of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so several aspects of the goodness of God that I want us to focus on that will help us to continue in his goodness and help us not to become boastful and proud of what is not ours to be proud of. There are several aspects I want us to see of the goodness of God. First of all, his goodness has purchased us. Salvation is a gift from God, is it not? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is our custom in our country during certain holidays, during birthdays, during anniversaries and things of that nature to exchange gifts, right? Now, you don't give gifts to everybody in the world. You give gifts to ones you love or ones you're closest to. Well, God has provided for all mankind the gift of salvation through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has always had this plan 
of sending his son to redeem man. First Peter 1 Peter 1:18 through 20, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You know, God has loved man before he created man. He loved man enough that he had a plan to redeem man, knowing that man would rebel and sin against him. Now that's the goodness of God that designed a plan before he created man to redeem man because he knew that man would sin against him. That's quite amazing, isn't it? You understand when Adam sinned in the garden, it did not take God by surprise. He already knew it was going to happen. He already had a plan of how he was going to redeem Adam. You know, he could have created man without a free will that we would automatically worship him. That would have resolved the problem, wouldn't it? But yet it wouldn't because then he wouldn't have a a, a creature that would willingly choose to love him. And so knowing that we would use our free will against him, he gave it to us anyhow. What we're trying to emphasize here is the goodness of God. It bothers me when people treat God as though he's some mean ogre who's wanting to just zap people and kill people, and he's, he's looking for ways to judge people, and he's looking for ways to... to uh, just get back at people. I know a lady who, years ago, she, according to her, she said she was a, a drunk. She had a serious alcohol problem. And now she doesn't desire alcohol whatsoever, but now she has a balance problem, something in her, I don't know if it's in her brain or in her ears or wherever it is, but something, and she has a serious balance problem now where if she's standing there, she walks like a drunk. And so when she's walking next to somebody, she'll reach out and touch them because having that point will help her balance. Or if she's standing somewhere, she'll reach out and touch something to give her, help her balance herself so she doesn't fall over. And you know the sad thing is, she basically says, I forget exactly the wording, but basically the irony how that God got back at me now by giving me this disease where I can't walk straight, and yet it never bothered me when I was a drunk. Do those type of statements trouble you? They should. Now, God is a righteous judge, is he not? But why do we assume everything bad in our lives is the judgment of God coming down on us? You see what I'm saying? And, and her attitude of, oh, he's getting back at me for that. Well, God wants to redeem man. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so in his goodness, he has purchased us. He has provided a way of salvation. Number two, he protects us. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. You ever think of that? God protects you as his child. In the song we sing day by day, one of the lines says, the protection of his child is a charge that on himself he laid. He put it on himself to protect you. Nothing is going to happen in your life that God has not allowed to happen. Now, I didn't say cause to happen. I said allowed to happen, and those are two different words. 
But God knows what we can handle, does he not? You know, we often say that as if we have the strength to handle it. I don't have the strength to handle it. Know, he knows how much we're going to lean on him. And he helps us grow to lean on him more. Again, the example that we all turn to is Job looking at what did Job do to deserve everything that he had? Well, honestly, all of us deserve more, much worse. Okay, so let's not use that term. What did Job do that brought that upon himself? Nothing, right? But yet, even in that scenario, do we need not see God protecting Job? Because initially he tells Satan, okay, you can take everything from him, but don't touch the man himself. But then when Satan challenges God again and says, well, skin for skin, I mean, anybody's going to protect themselves. You know, they're going to be okay as long as it doesn't affect them personally and their body. And God says, okay, just don't kill him. You see, God still put limits on what Satan can do. And Satan can go no further than what God allows him. Remember that. So when you think that there's a situation where all of a sudden God abandoned you, remember he's still protecting you. He's still there. Which goes along with the third point as we look at his goodness. So he's purchased us. He protects us. But I want us to see his persistent presence. And I call it persistent because it starts with a P. But his, his constant presence. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So not only does he protect you, but he's constantly with you. Now, remember again, even Job saying at one point, I, I look to my left, I don't see him. I look behind me, I look, I don't, but I know he's working. He's working on my right hand somewhere, but I don't see him working. But I do know he's still there. And sometimes, Christian, you and I f may feel like God has abandoned us. But remember, remember, he has promised he's still there. And so you can hold on to that truth that even when he doesn't feel close, he is. So whether it's times of trials, whether it's when I'm lonely, he's always there. Now, that alone should show us the goodness of God. You know, when I was in the Navy, courtesy Uncle Sam gets sent around the world away from my family. But you know, the wonderful thing is, no matter where I was, God was still there, and God was still with my family back here. For this next one, let's turn to Matthew 6, 24 through 34. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. That's a direct statement from God. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, with, nor yet for your body what you should put on it. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The fowls of the air. My wife has a couple bird feeders outside the house. They didn't provide the food. They didn't do anything to put that food there. It cost me money, and it also cost when the squirrel comes and steals it all. But anyhow, it cost us money to put it there. But, you know, it's, it's a way in which God has provided through us to them. But even if we weren't feeding them, that God is going to take care of them, is he not? Verse 27. 
Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? I love that verse. You know, I can imagine somebody sitting there, short, saying, I'm just going to keep thinking about it. Okay, I'm going to stretch. Ah, Look, I got taller. Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. All right, now, we all need clothes, right? But God is going to provide even that. I can't tell you the number of times my wife has gone to a thrift store and found clothing that still has the tags on it at the discounted price. He provides. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, this is not teaching quit your job and just rely on God and he's going to provide everything because your job is the means by which God has provided for you. But Christian, I meet a lot of Christians who say, I don't have enough check at the end of the month. Well, then maybe you need to consider how are you using the provision that God already gave because his provision is sufficient. And if it's not sufficient, then maybe you're not just meeting the needs, but maybe taking care of too many of the wants. Because he's provided, he has promised to provide for your needs. And I tell you, I, I know people who make a little bit of money and people who make a lot of money. And you know what the problem is? All are broke, just at different levels. Because the people who make a lot of money have a lot more wants that they fill instead of just taking care of their needs. And Christian, we need to realize God has provided. But what's the principle? Seek first the kingdom of God. Do what God has commanded you to do to first. Right? Be faithful to him. Be faithful in your Bible study and praying and church attendance and faithful in tithing, faithful in giving, because that is part of what he wants us to be faithful in, and he will take care of the rest. And I've talked to people who say, I can't afford to tithe. Let me tell you something. You can't afford not to tithe. It is commanded of God. It belongs to him. Take care of it first, and he will provide the rest. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, we can go down through the church ages, and we can see people much poorer than us. As a matter of fact, just look around the world. There's many much poorer than us today. But God provides for his children. Now, it may not be what you want, but do you realize beans and rice does make a meal? It doesn't have to be veal every night. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Or steak. Or we're having lamb today. And boy, is it expensive right now. God has provided our salvation. He provides the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 1.22, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. You know, it's kind of like a parents providing for their children, right? Now, we're talking normal parents, good parents, they want to provide for their children. They don't withhold things from them. 
saying, ha, 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 look what I did to my child. Now, you may make them skip dinner but as a punishment for something, but on a normal basis, you're feeding them, right? And as they become a teenager, it becomes a very regular basis what you're feeding them. <laughs> so he's purchased us, he protects us, he's with us, he has his presence with us, and he provides. Let's go on to number five. You know another way in which God shows his goodness to us? Is that he hears us. He hears our prayers. He listens to us. You ever think of that? God is not too busy to listen to you. Now, there have been times when I've had multiple situations going on. And I have to tell somebody, I'm busy right now. I'll get to you in just a moment. You know, I'll talk to you in a moment, right? Or I'll call you back in just a little bit, or whatever the case may be. Because I'm only one person at one location and can only do one thing at a time, and sometimes not even that well, okay? So, but I am glad that if you need to talk to God right now because you need comfort and you're going through some struggle in life and you have some some need of uh, something else or whatever, or you have a praise that you just want to talk to God, or you just woke up in the middle of the night and you just need to praise God for who he is, all of us can be talking to him at the same time and he can hear all of it. He's not too busy. He's not preoccupied. I am thankful that he hears. No matter when or where I am, no matter the circumstances, he still can hear. Years ago, we were in a church that during their prayer time did a little bit differently, and I don't recommend this, but when they would go to pray, everybody in the room, and so we're talking a church of probably 150 people, everybody in the room would immediately start praying, and none of them were quiet about it. As a matter of fact, it almost seemed like someone wanted to hear themselves over all the other voices. So they're praying louder and louder and louder, and and a whole room of about 150 people just all of a sudden talking at once, to me, sounded extremely chaotic. As a matter of fact, if I recall, I had to step out of the room because I am not one that likes a lot of noise like that. But this, this thought did cross my mind. While that sounded absolutely chaotic to me, it was absolutely organized in the mind of God. He heard every one of them and understood everyone that everyone, everything that every one of those was saying. I don't recommend it for our sakes, not for God's sakes. He can understand it, but let me tell you something. It sounds extremely chaotic, so let's not do it that way, okay? <laughs> Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The Bible tells us we have not because we ask not. Have you thought to take it to God in prayer? That burden you're carrying, have you thought to take it to God in prayer? That need to have, have you taken it to God in prayer? That friend you're praying for that you want to see saved, when's the last time you called their name before God in prayer? We have this meet and greet coming up May 14th. How often have you taken that to God in prayer? Say, Lord, bless this event. May we see souls there. May we see souls saved because of the efforts we put forth that day for your glory, for your kingdom. I hope you have been praying. And I hope you'll volunteer and tell Ed. Number six. He gives us the power for living. The power for living. 
As I said earlier, we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. Because if I try doing it in the arm of the flesh, I will fail every time. On Wednesday night, we started talking about sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. Well, I can't become more Christ-like by trying to become more Christ-like in the flesh. It's like the people who say, you know what, I'll come to Jesus after I clean up my life. We think we always got to do all the work. But I am glad Jesus takes his filth, dirt, and all, and he does the cleaning. Well, I got to give up my cigarettes before I come to Christ. I got to stop cussing before I come to church. How about you come to Christ and let him do the cleaning up? But somehow then, Christian, if we can understand that for salvation, what makes us think it's any different living the Christian life? In the same way in which we were saved, so are we to walk by faith, continuing to trust him, him giving us the power, the ability to live for him. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and on the uttermost part of the earth. The power that we have to serve him, the miracle power, the, the dunamis is the Greek word there, the power that we have to serve him comes from the Holy Spirit of God in us. I'm sure you've all experienced, and if you've not, hopefully soon you will, as you're talking to somebody, whether you're sharing the gospel with them, whether they come to you for counseling, all of a sudden the verses come back that you haven't studied in a long time, and you can quote the thing perfectly, and, or a piece of advice comes to mind that, that you're like, you know, this biblical principle, this fits here. That is the power of God working in you. When you are tempted to sin and you, you just get this urge, no, I cannot do that because it will offend a holy God. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. Don't look at that. Don't go that way. How many times have you had things in life that are completely innocent, maybe even good things, but you just don't have a, a peace in your heart about it? Does not, does not the Bible teach us that God can lead us, the Holy Spirit can lead us through a peace in our heart? Now, we got to be careful with that because I hear a lot of people, well, God gave me peace about it. Well, God gave me peace about it. And, and I try not to question because that is a biblical principle. But when some t I, I know, first of all, I do know when the quote-unquote peace that they have contradicts the word of God, I do know that's not a godly peace that they have. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I know he's not saved, but he's such a nice guy. No, that is wrong. It's against scripture. And so I don't care what kind of peace you have, it's not of God. I can't define for you what that peace is. But once you've experienced it, you know what it is. Am I right? And you know when it's a manufactured or when it's a Holy Spirit. Because there have been times in my life when I'm like, this is a really good thing. I think this is what we need to do. But it's just like hitting a brick wall. And there's just something in my mind is so uneasy and so I start praying about it. I'm like, Lord, am I missing something here? And I'll look at all the pros and cons. I'll look at everything, you know, however you analyze things. And I'll keep praying about it. And you know what? There's just something disturbing me about it. And then when I finally say, okay, you know what? Then I'm not going to do it. Then all of a sudden I have a peace. It's like, well, then I'll take that from the Holy Spirit. 
He gives the power for living in that He gives us the power to be Christ-like, the power to serve. You know what else He also gives? is His wisdom. James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to giveth all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God gives us not just the direction and the boldness and the Christ-likeness to serve him, but he also gives us the wisdom when we ask him in order to serve him. The discernment. We live in a very non-discerning world. People don't know truth from wrong. People are being taught that there are no absolutes. There is no right or wrong. There's just all these gray areas, and whatever you feel is right is right. Because we put so much focus on feelings instead of facts. And when you talk facts, people think that you're just unkind. No, it's factual. There are many times in life we need wisdom beyond our own to be able to make the right choice. And we also need the wisdom to think, when I make this decision, where is this going to lead me and my family 10 years from now? We need God's wisdom to be able to think, not just for today, not living for today as the world teaches, but thinking about What's going to happen in the future generations if the Lord should tarry? Because yes, while the Lord could return today, we have to prepare as though our grandchildren or great-grandchildren are going to be here. So we got to continue to live as thinking what's going to happen to them. And I'll tell you what, the world in which children are growing up today is not the world in which I grew up in in the 70s and 80s. God will give wisdom. But we also need to understand God will give wisdom to the young people too to be able to live in their generation, just as he did us ours. Another way, point number seven, that God shows his goodness is that he has promised that we are his possession and he also has promised that we have an inheritance waiting in heaven. Isn't that amazing? You know, if God had just said, I'm going to save mankind, as we talked about the first point, he's, he's paid, made a payment for sin, right? He, he paid for salvation. He provided that before the world began. If that was all God had done, that would be absolutely fantastic, wouldn't it? But in his goodness, which is what we're looking at today, the goodness of God, he's gone so much far above that, and he says, I have prepared for you in heaven an inheritance, a reward. We've talked about some of the rewards we can get in heaven. But as a down payment of that, and we've seen this many times, Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn with me there, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession 
unto the praise of his glory. So we just talked about the power God has given us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And God says, that's just the down payment. That's just the earnest money. That's just the earnest of what is waiting for you yet in glory. I can't wait to see what's waiting in glory. Can you? If the Holy Spirit and the privilege we have of having the author of the Bible living in us, teaching us, showing us God's word, showing us God's way, convicting us of sin, directing our lives, giving us the boldness to speak for him, giving us the words to say, giving us the power to serve for him is just a down payment. I can't wait to see what glory holds. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Boy, that's, that alone is just going to be amazing, isn't it? There'll be no night there. Why? Because we have the sun with us all day. That's going to be fantastic. If there's no night there, does that mean our immortal bodies don't have to sleep? Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit then kind of covers several of these, but this is all showing the goodness of God because he gives the power for living. We have the possession of the Holy Spirit. But you know another thing the Holy Spirit does for us, and I briefly mentioned this, but it's the prodding, the conviction. Doesn't God's conviction show us his goodness? That he's not going to allow us to drift to the right or drift to the left, but the Holy Spirit of God is saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Which is from Isaiah 30, 21. And, thou, and thine ear shall hear behind thee, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. John 16, 8 says, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But I love the fact that as I go along life's way, the Holy Spirit is there to convict me and say, nope, you're going to the left. This is the path right here. Come back. Nope, you're going to the right. Come to the path right here. And he convicts and he brings me back. But Christian, you know how important it is for us to be listening to the Holy Spirit as he convicts us and be willing to respond as he convicts us so that he can guide us and put us on the path that God wants us to be. So often Christians are confused. I don't understand the will of God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I understand there are times when it seems confusing. But you want to know the will of God? Start by doing what you know you're supposed to do today. Be faithful in the things you know already to do, and then he can move you and he can guide you. And I liken this to... <clears throat> the old, I remember my dad had a 1970, was it six, seven, eight? I don't know. Chevy Chevette. How many remember the Chevettes? They were a cool little car. You had one? All right. So if it was from the 70s, it did not come complete with power steering, nor did it have power brakes. Remember that? Okay. So you take that old Chevette and you try to sit in the driveway and turn the steering wheel, and now, or I was a little boy, it took everything I had to even try to get that thing to turn over. But you get it rolling a little bit, and all of a sudden it would steer fine. So that's what I mean is for, God, for the Holy Spirit of God to continue to guide us, we've got to be doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. So as we're waiting on God, it's not sitting still. It's waiting on God, doing what I'm no, serving and what I know I'm supposed to do, and then he can steer me in the direction that he needs to take me. And then number nine, and this is the last one, 
his personal care and attention. Job 23.10, Job says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job knew in the middle of his trial that God still knew where Job was. God knew what he was doing. Again, in Matthew 10, 29-31, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of, men, of more value than many sparrows. God cares for you. A song by uh, Byron Fox, If God sees the sparrows fall, and makes the flowers bloom. Watch the flowers grow. I forget. But anyhow, basically the song is based on this passage of if God sees the sparrows fall, how much more does he care for me? If God watches the flowers grow, how much more does he care for me? If God takes care of, as we looked at earlier, all the fowls of the air, God makes the beauty of all those wild flowers many of which in a forest nobody will ever see. But God still cares for them. How much more does he care for you? How much more does he care for me? He knows you personally. You know, God told Moses, I know you by name. By the way, again, Job, did not God say to Satan, hast thou considered my servant, uh, what's his name? No, my servant Job. He knew him by name. God knows your name. Think of that. I find that amazing because I have a hard time with names. I meet people and I can remember the face and I'm like, you're somebody. But God knows my name. He cares for me personally. We could go on speaking about the goodness of God, but I believe this is a great sample of a way to for us to understand the goodness of God. Now let's go back real quickly. We're commanded then to continue in the goodness of God. Remain, dwell, be at home. Don't become complacent or apathetic. Always be thankful, but remain in the goodness of God. 